right. Amen. That's our missionary brother, David Board in Cambodia. Hope you remember to pray for him. Let's stand and take our Bibles this morning. And we'll go to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. The book of Philippians, chapter 4. So delighted to see you today. And uh, it's exciting to be in the house of God. And we're praying the Lord will do something great in all of our hearts today. Uh, if you're new to the church, I'm going to ask our, or just visiting, or you don't have a King James Version of the Bible, I'm going to ask our members to look around you. And uh, look around yourselves. If someone does have a Bible or they're new to the church, would you be kind enough and uh, show them a heritage heart and share your Bible with them and help them find the way? And we'll just stay right there in Philippians 4. If you have a copy of the notes, we have the scriptures there as well. But look, members, look around for just a minute. Somebody is new to the church. Be their friend this morning. Share your Bible with them. Help them find their way. Now, I want to encourage you while you're doing that to be back tonight. We've been talking about in the in the Bible hour and this morning and then tonight about the church at Philippi. And I want you to hear about its root beginnings. And I'm going to launch off our theme for the missions conference tonight. Our theme is taken out of Acts 16.9. It's entitled, Help Us. And I want you to come tonight. If, you've, if you feel like you're in a place in your life, and I think we all are, you're in a place in your life where you just need a, you need a shot in the arm. You need the Lord to just, just, to, just to do something in your heart to electrify you and to stir you about the Lord. Come tonight. I believe the message this evening will do that as we launch it off and get our hearts ready for the missions conference. And if nothing else, let me just say this. Every Christian, everybody in this room, there's two things you can do to help the missions movement. Number one, you can pray. Everyone can pray. And we're going to be talking about how to pray. Number two, as we'll see today, we've been emphasizing in the Bible hour and again in this morning service, how we can have a part financially, as we'll see this morning, as shareholders in the work of God. And I want you to realize today that all of us can have a part in God's great big plan. And I want you to think with me tonight. Where would you be, or this morning, where would you be this morning if someone didn't take the gospel and tell you how to be saved? Where would you be today? Where would you be spending eternity? And we need to think about the fact that God's, God's word gets to hearts and lives in, in just a remarkable ways. And we just, we just want you to sense today God's love in our hearts. And of course, as I think about the gospel, I think about John 3.16. It talks about God so loved the world. And God still loves the world. And God loves the world so much that he gave the greatest sacrifice. That was his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ to die for your sins and mine. And so our prayer this morning is that the love of God would permeate all of our hearts and speak just from this passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 4. We're doing good on time. Go with me to verse 9. Philippians 4, verse 9. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right. Now, we're, we're going to do something fun. I, I'm going to do... We've been, now I, I notice our Sunday school class is starting to do this here, so this is a good thing. Uh, I'm going to read the odd number of verses because I want to be odd today. Amen. And you're going to read the even number of verses because you're going to be even today. So I'm going to read verse 9. You're going to read verse 10. And we'll go back and forth like that. Does that, that make sense to everybody? Are we okay with that? Simona, are we okay with that? You look a little confused at your daughter there, okay? Or maybe she was confused. You're trying to help her out. Okay, all right. We're good with that. All right, verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Congregation, but I read... Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Congregation, I know both how to be. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have. 
Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, and I have full, having received Aphrodite's... But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful passage of Scripture. Man, I could just park on verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I can park us on four, chapter 4, verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every one of these verses is a great preaching verse. I call your attention, though, this morning to verse 16. In our passage, we see Paul taking the church at Philippi back to the days when he left Philippi to continue planting churches. And the first stop he made when he left Philippi was a location called Thessalonica. And he said at Thessalonica, and this is the title of the message, notice in verse 16, he said, "Ye sent... Once and again. Once and again. And this morning we're going to look at this matter of once and again. God's plan for the financing of the spread of the gospel around the world. Heavenly Father, even as Brother Vaughn and the choir sang this morning, God's been good. You have been good, Lord. Thank you this morning. You, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Lord, thank you for being so good to us that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. Thank you, Lord, that he's the Savior of all the world. Thank you for Jesus, God. He's the author and finisher of our faith, and he's the captain of our salvation. I think about Hebrews 2.9, when the Bible says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering and death, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Today, Lord, as we bow our hearts before you and humble our hearts before you, we need you to speak to us. The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this morning, we need to see you. We need to see you in your holiness. We need to see you, God, in your in your emphasis. We need to see you in the priority of God. We need to see you this morning in, in, in terms of the priorities you have for our life. And in this simple message today, please speak to our hearts. Please, God, help us to recognize that every one of us has a stake in worldwide missions, that every one of us has a part, though we may think it's small, every one of us has a part in getting the gospel around the world. And, Lord, even beginning here, it might be for someone here today, they just need to know that the gospel applies to them personally. I thank you this morning for friends and visitors, our guests, our loved ones who are here today. And we pray this morning that this service would be very special in all of our hearts. Save souls this morning. Revive us again. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
As we've mentioned, this Wednesday we start our annual missions conference. Since the very first year the church started, we've had a missions conference. I thank the Lord that our founding pastor, Pastor David Homer, was just who was a missionary heart, led our church in having a missions conference that very first year. And I still think about those missionaries we took on for support and the great things God did. And in that, in just that little humble beginning, our church being, and many of our founding members are still here today. Uh, I still remember that day when we took our faith promise pledges. We were excited and 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 not knowing what God was going to do. And many of who, many who are leaders in the church today were just college students or just starting their jobs and didn't have a whole lot. But on that particular Sunday, we took up the faith promise pledges. And if my memory serves right, forty-seven to $48,000 was committed by Heritage Baptist Church on that Sunday towards worldwide missions. And we're just thankful now that uh, as of last year, about 390000 was committed by our church to faith promise missions. We are praying that this coming year that the Lord will do a great work in the heart of our membership and all of us here today and participating in this. You see, now when we have a missions conference, it's a time when we just, we kind of park, park ourselves for a week. We bring some missionaries in who represent different parts of the world. And you'll hear about us tonight. I hope you'll come back tonight, so I'll tell you a little bit about our missionaries. We have a man by the name of Dr. David Barnhouse coming. He's a long-term missionary in, in Africa. I was telling people Tanzania. He's from, actually, I think Zambia is where he's from. And he's been doing a great work for God. We have a man by the name of Dr. Richard Jacobs who started churches in India. But for whatever reason, the Lord has led him back here to the States and not park himself outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. He's starting an international church, international Baptist church, where he's reaching student populations and, and influencing them that these young people in their hearts would surrender to the gospel ministry and young men especially be called to preach and going back to India and Asian countries to praying the gospel. We've got Brother Mark Garrison who's been a missionary for well over 10 or 12 years there in the country, Colombia, doing a great work for God. I think he's established two works there and it's just being used greatly of the Lord there. We have Brother Stephen Villarreal who is a missionary to Mexico. He's a second generation missionary that God has been using greatly. His father and mother have labored down in Mexico, given their lives for the last 30 plus years and getting the gospel there. I met Brother Stephen Villarreal after preaching a chapel service several years ago and just got God's kind of hand him on my heart and I checked up on him last year to see how he's doing and they're just plugging away trying to get the job done and under supported. I said, well, why don't you come? We want to support you. And of course, you know that we have a mystery sent out of our church, Brother Ted Mung. Brother Ted is getting ready to start that church in Hangzhou and uh, his wife, Shine, he and his wife, Shine, just had their second baby. Baby Samuel was just born a few days ago. And we praise the Lord for that. And uh, we're getting Brother Ted out there trying to get his support raised so he can get out there to Hangzhou and start a church. And then we have Dr. Don Sisk, our, our good friend who's 85 years of age, just authored a book entitled Overtime. Dr. Sisk will be with us and be our keynote speaker next Sunday. And uh, so many exciting things we want to say about them. But these missionaries are coming as part of our missions conference to challenge our, our hearts. Now, these missionaries are men of like precious faith to our church who are going to challenge us. And we have to understand that God's methodology, God's mechanism since the writing of the New Testament since the giving of the instructions by the Lord Jesus Christ has been through local New Testament churches. God accomplishes His purpose through local New Testament churches. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock I will build my church. Now He was talking about the church, He's talking about the ecclesia, the local New Testament church. And so Jesus is building and advancing the kingdom of God around the world through local New Testament churches. New Testament churches like Heritage Baptist Church are established in a location. There in that location we take the 
gospel. But we partner with other men who are called to preach, to go out and start churches. And as these men go on to start churches, we are called to come alongside of them as shareholders, as stakeholders, as partners. As he talks about here, the word communicate, to assisting them in getting their churches started and financed. And we have to understand, churches do not receive their financing from the government or other nonprofit entities. That is a great funding vehicle for those, for nonprofit organizations, 501c3 organizations, where maybe they write up something, get a grant or pledge and all things. But that is not God's mechanism for the support of local New Testament churches. The support of local New Testament churches is through God's people. You and I, we sustain the work of God through our tithe and we help support missionaries through faith, promise giving. We're going to talk about faith, promise giving today. Faith, promise, participation. Faith, promise is not a word that's found in the Bible, but the practice of faith, promise is right here in Philippians chapter 4 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so as we look at a missions conference, it's a time where the Lord stirs our hearts and moves in us. And as God stirs our hearts and moves in us, we feel a sense of need of just coming alongside of the local church or Heritage Baptist Church and participating with faith, promise, pledges and help me support the work of God. Now notice if you would with me for just a moment, because I have a lot to tell you today. But I want to help give you the background to Philippians chapter 4, verses 9 to 20. The background to this takes us back to Acts 16. Now, I'll say more about, the, about that tonight. You'll be here this evening for the evening message tonight. It'll stir your heart about missions. But the background to this is God working in Paul's heart in Acts chapter 16. And there are several things we must notice about this. Because, because the church at Philippi, the churches of Macedonia, were nowhere on Paul's radar screen. Paul was not thinking about Philippi when we get to Acts chapter 16. Paul was thinking about taking the gospel all the way east as far to Asia as possible. I think if Paul had his way, he would have taken the gospel to India. He would have taken the gospel to China. He would have brought the gospel to Mongolia. I think he would have crossed over and into North Korea and the South Korea as we know it today. I think if he could have found a means, he would have taken the gospel to the Philippines and to Taiwan and all those other places. I think he would have made his way down, down through Southeast Asia and would have found his way through Indonesia and then Singapore and places like that, and Cambodia, and Vietnam, and Thailand, places like that. I think he would have found his way through all there. But that was not God's intention. And we'll see tonight why God closes doors for some and opens doors for others. You need to hear that tonight. Because sometimes I hear people mention that uh, God closed the door, and they say it in a way that's somewhat despairing against Paul, and somewhat despairing against the Holy Spirit. And we should not look at it from that perspective. We have to realize that God knows exactly who to put where in, 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 the, in the work of God. So we look at Acts chapter 16. Paul's not thinking Macedonia. God got Paul to the place at a city called Troas. You look on your Bible map, Troas was a coastal city. It was right on the water line. It was right on the water. And as he was there, he had time to think and ponder and meditate. God got Paul to the places I'll talk about tonight where he was thinking about the work of God and he was fully surrendered. Lord, where do you want us to go? Lord, what do you want us to do? Paul's team consisted of Paul and a new team member by the name of Silas and another new team member by the name of Timothy. And soon to join him would be a man by the name of Dr. Luke. Luke was the writer of the Gospel of Luke. Luke would accompany Paul on his second and third missionary tour. So these are all new participants with Paul. And Paul's being extra sensitive to what the whole Holy Spirit wanted to do. And notice number one, this is not in your notes, but notice number one, we see the Spirit in the church. The Holy Spirit was intricately involved in moving Paul and telling Paul exactly where to go. It was the Holy Spirit that closed doors to Paul. 
And said, I don't want you to go to Bithynia. And I don't want you to go to Mysia. And I don't want you to go to those areas. I don't want you to go east. I want you to stay, I want you to stay right here on the coastline because I'm going to take you west with the gospel. There is the Spirit in the church. The Spirit does the calling. The Spirit does the choosing. The Spirit does the undoing. The Spirit does the endowment upon our lives. It is the Spirit who's intricately involved. As we read the book of Acts, we must never lose sight of the fact we must have the leading of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit upon local New Testament churches like ours. Secondly, we not only see the Spirit in the church in Acts chapter 16, but I love the fact in chapter 16 of Acts, verse 9 to I think verse 32 or so, we have mentioned there, we have mentioned there the salvations and the church. The Lord wanted us to see that church is all about seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. My heart is thrilled and overflowing this morning as I still think about yesterday, about uh, about Mrs. Magadia and Brother Chuck following the Lord's scriptural baptism. My thoughts went back many times yesterday and leading into yesterday and even this morning about when they called upon Jesus Christ to be their Savior. I'm thinking about some friends who are here this morning for the first or second time in church and how they called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. There are the salvations and the church. There at the church at Philippi, before even they had a building, before they even had a meeting place, Paul and his entourage went down there to the riverside. There were not many Jews in Philippi. In fact, Philippi was, in, was a Grecian colony. It was the capital city of Macedonia. And there they went and found a collection of Jews who met at the riverside there for prayer. And then when we was there, Paul made, made short, sweet, a short conversation with the people there and the ladies that were there for prayer. He met a lady by the name of Lydia. The Bible says God opened her heart. Lydia received Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. She was the first convert. After getting saved, she got baptized. And then she turned to Paul and she said, Oh, listen, if you find me faithful, would you like to use my house as a meeting place? And before they'd even, even think about where to meet... God told him through Lydia that you can meet in her home. And she opened her home up and her servants got saved. And other family members came to know Christ. And a church, the nucleus of a church was started. And then we read later on, Paul's making his way down the streets, the marketplace of Philippi. He found a teenager that was hanging out on the streets. And this teenage girl was being taken advantage of and being merchandised by the people there. And, he's, and the Bible says Paul, being grieved in his spirit by what he saw, he commanded the demon that controlled that woman to come out of her. And she got saved. And she was a second convert. And then we read later on how Paul got arrested and Silas got arrested. And they're in the prison while their backs are broken and bleeding and they're hurting and bruised up. They began praying and singing. And God sent an earthquake and opened up the, the prison door. And there Paul had an opportunity to tell the jailer about the Lord. The jailer brought Paul home. He told his wife, this man's wife ought to be saved and his children ought to be saved. And we see there in Acts chapter 16, the salvations of that church. And we see something else here at the church of Philippi. We see the spirit in the church and salvations of the church. We see the supplications of the church. Listen, when you see this book, the church at Philippi, the very first thing Paul says to them, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of by making requests with joy. And Paul prayed for this church. He prayed for faces he had not seen. He prayed for the faces he had seen. It's something interesting. The church at Philippi was undergirded by prayer. It was because of prayer they got the vision to go to Philippi. It was there while they were praying that God led them there to the riverside. They met the women who assembled there for prayer. It was after a season of prayer that God led Paul down the streets of Philippi and he met the teenage girl. While he was there in prison, the Bible says Paul and Silas 
They prayed and sang praises of God. This was a church who was offering up supplications. Heritage Baptist Church, thank you for being a praying church. But I want to encourage you during these next several days, let's give ourselves much to prayer. Let's give ourselves much to praying for these missionaries and the guests that are coming and for people to be saved and for God to do great things. We see the Spirit and the church and the salvations in the church and the supplications of the church. But there's the structure of the church. Notice Philippians 1, 1 with me. Would you turn back for just a moment? Look at Philippians chapter 1. Verse 1, and God gives structure now. People are getting saved. People are coming to the church. They've got to organize this church. In Philippians 1, 1, Paul said this, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints uh, in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Now, maybe for those of you casual readers, the Word of God doesn't speak to you. But as a pastor, that speaks to my heart. This was a church that was well organized. It got to the place, as we read in Second Corinthians 8, there were many churches that were established throughout Macedonia, and specifically in Philippi. And these churches now were being pastored. The churches got to the place where they were organized, and they called men who met the qualifications of First Timothy three in Titus chapter one to be pastors of these local New Testament churches. Not only that, the church of Philippi was growing in such proportion and in such needs. This is one of two churches we read about in the New Testament that had deacons that they called on. And we find the office and the role of the deacon defined in first Timothy chapter three. Here was a church that had pastors. Here was a church that had deacons. But here was a church that was thriving with members. There was organizational structure to the church. Churches must be well organized. Our God is not a God of disorder. Our God is a God of order. And He wants His structure of His church to flow well. But we see something else. There's the structure of the church, but we see a church that was strategic. And that takes us back to chapter 4. God has a strategy for His church. Now, there are many things in the components of the structure of the church for the, for the flow of the church. But the flow of the church should lead to the outflow of the church and the overflow of the church. And we have to understand, God has a strategic plan for the church. And the strategic plan is that we're to reproduce leaders. We're to see souls saved. We're to make disciples of those who are being saved. And we're to challenge men to get the call of God on their lives to go out and start New Testament churches. And we find here Paul is talking about churches that are that he's going out to start because he was sent out of the church at Philippi. And he's instructing them strategically how churches are financed. How do we fund the cause and the need of missionaries? How do we make sure that a missionary can stay on the field and not be burdened by being a tent maker and things of that? That nature. We're studying this morning in Philippians chapter 4, God's financial plan for the funding of world missions. We started out in our Sunday school hour with the question, what is faith promise? I want to take it a little bit further with you this morning with the remaining time we have. And I want us to look at the subject of faith promise once and again. If you'll follow your notes this morning, let me give you a few things real quickly. Number one, would you notice the financial precept in faith promise? Faith promise is a financial precept, is a local church precept or command that the Lord has given to us. The instructions for faith promise missions. How do we give to support missionaries? How do we do it? What is the mechanism? Is here in chapter 4 and in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. This precept defines for us God's method for the financing of missionaries. Missionaries are not to start to go out and try to raise funds from the government or from nonprofit entities. Missionaries are to be biblically supported through churches like ourselves. Now watch, watch this this morning as we look at this financial precept. First of all, there's the intent in faith promise. The intent in faith promise, the church, notice in verse 10, 
Paul speaks about the care of the church at Philippi for him. Notice in verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. Faith promise is showing our love and our care for missionaries. It's showing our care and our love for the missionary church planter that's going out to start a work for the Lord. What we're doing there, we're showing our intent that as a church, we're coming alongside and communicating with him, as the Bible says, fellowshipping with him, or even more specifically, partnering with the missionary in advancing the gospel. I like what Brother Aaron was saying this morning. He was sharing with our Heirs Together uh, growth group today. He said, you know, a pastor could have his way. He would go all over the world to preach the gospel wherever opportunities are given. And I'm given many, many opportunities, but I have to decline many of them because my first priority is Heritage Baptist Church. But if I could do so, I'd go out and preach the gospel. You pray for me. Next year, I was given an invitation next February to go to be at a, one of, our, one of our, our works that we support. They're celebrating their 40th anniversary. The preacher asked me 16 months ago, he said, Brother Fong, we are planning to bring 10,000 first-time visitors to be at our 40th anniversary on the first Sunday of February. I want you to come and preach the gospel. Man, I'm burning about that. I want to get the gospel to 10,000 people. I mean, wouldn't it be exciting to send back a report of, of all these thousands of people trusting Christ as their Savior because they heard that Jesus loves them and Jesus saves. I mean, what a wonderful thing that is. But you can't be everywhere. But that's why God calls missionaries. God calls a man like a Terry Unruh. And God calls a man like David Board. And God calls a man like those men. Or like a Jason Ritchie in Mongolia. Or God calls a man like Jerry Wyatt in Tanzania. Or God calls a man like David Barnhouse in Zambia. God calls these men to be missionaries in specific sitting location. And faith promises designed in the tent. It spreads the risk. It spreads the participation, the, the contribution among many churches of like precious faith to help support that missionary. Our goal is to be one of many churches you know, want to come alongside that missionary to help support him so that, that missionary doesn't have to take on a secondary vocation or be bivocational in order to support himself so he can devote himself entirely and thoroughly to the work of God. As we watched the video by David Board, David Board is serving God. He's probably one of the hardest working missionaries and servants of God you'll meet anywhere. David Board is starting works five hours away and 45 minutes away. They're looking for pockets of opportunities among people that are where maybe the gospel has never been preached, where there's just Buddhist beliefs and Muslim beliefs and non-Christian beliefs that are there to go there. And he starts something maybe with the children or the adults, and they're praying that God will start many money works. But listen, even David Board cannot be at all those locations at one time. He's training up leaders to take those responsibilities, and there those leaders can lead the work of God, and they can start and plant start that off as a local independent church there. So the intent is that we come alongside in caring for the missionaries. Then there's the involvement. When we consider the financial precept, the involvement is how you and me as Heritage Baptist Church can have a part with these missionaries. Now, in 2 Corinthians 8, we see it should be a personal involvement. Notice in 2 Corinthians 8, if you would, verses 1 to 4, what the Bible says there. Paul said this, Moreover, brethren, and by the way, when you look at that, that's preceded by chapter 7, the very last verse of chapter 7. He says, he speaks to them, he said he rejoiced greatly of, of, of the things they obeyed God in. He rejoiced greatly they were obedient to the Lord, that in all things they were obeying the Lord. And so Paul used that as his springboard to start chapter 8, verse 1. And in chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or to witness, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, God's grace, we receive it when we get saved. But grace 
Grace doesn't stop after we get saved. Grace continues to work in our heart. There's saving grace. There's sustaining grace. There's serving grace. There's grace in times of sorrow and suffering. I mean, God's grace is more than sufficient. And the Bible says God giveth more grace. I'm thankful for that this morning. And God gives us more grace. You might be suffering someone suffering right now. You may be someone in sickness. You might be someone diagnosed with cancer. You might be someone who has a loved one that's that's in the hospital. May I remind you tonight, this morning, that God God's grace is sufficient for all your needs and his strength is made perfect in your weakness and mind. But God's grace continues to work to us even in the matter of giving. Notice this about the churches of Macedonia. He wanted the, the church at Corinth to witness what God was doing in the churches of Macedonia. Notice verse 2. How then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of the liberality. Now here was a church. Here were churches down in, in Philippi. In Macedonia, they were going through some tough times. That's what he's talking about there. They, it wasn't very easy. They didn't have a whole lot of money. I mean, whatever they gave, they were just kind of going week by week and paying their bills and making ends meet and paying their pastors and all those type of things. He speaks about, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy. They learned how to give while Paul was there. He taught them to take up offerings. He taught them how to tithe. He taught them how to give. He told them on the first day of the week, you're to set aside as God has prospered you. And so they were taking up offerings. And these believers at Macedonia were learning how to give with a joyful heart. By the way, that's the only kind of heart that we ought to learn how to give by. Amen? We ought to give with a joyful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful means to be hilarious, to be happy, to be joyful. Yesterday, I went and made a stop in the bank for just a minute. And while I was there, somebody came up behind me and went bumped right into me while I came up to the teller's thing and started going, ha! <laughs> and I thought, good night. There's a witch behind me. No, I didn't say that. But, but I thought, what in the world is going on here? And this, and the, I don't know who this person was. I tell my wife she was waiting in the car for me. I just want to get it, went, got, go in to get out. And they went, <laughs> and came to me, looked at me, and they looked at me kind of strange, amen, you know. And I looked back, and I, and I, and I saw this young lady, and I saw her mother, and I said, do I know you? I thought, maybe I've knocked on their door. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I dropped a track. I said, you, you never know who you meet these days, amen. And, and the lady said, no, I don't think I know you. I don't think you meant. She said, I'm sorry about that. My daughter is just, she's just being kind of happy today. I said, well, she can be happy. And she ran up and bumped at me and <laughs> And I thought, Ben, I better get out because she's going to keep ha-ha-ha and people think I know this girl. I don't know her, amen? But that's the kind of attitude God wants us to have when we give. <laughs> now, if you put an offering in the bag and go, <laughs> I'm not going to get mad at you, amen? Some of you need some of that, amen? Brother Justin, you need that this morning, amen? Did you put your offering in, Brother Justin, amen? Brother Lito, you need some of that. Your wife went like that. She said you need some of that, Amen? This church got personally involved in the needs of the Apostle Paul. You know, here's our thought. Well, the church will take care of this. Can I tell you something great this morning? You are the church. <laughs> you are the church. I tell every one of our new attendees and members, when you start coming, I don't want you saying, Pastor, your church. I want you to think, this is my church. As being your church, there is a personal involvement. We take a faith promise pledge card. And we pray over the next several days, Lord, what involvement can I have? And these, these brethren down here at Macedonia, they gave not just within their power, they gave beyond their power. They, I mean, what that basically means is, hey, you know what? They looked at their budget and they said, um, this is tough. 
There's no margin in here. Maybe you feel that way. You live in California, you should feel that way, amen? There's no margin there. In fact, for some people, they get to the 16th, they can't wait to the first to come, amen? I mean, you're at the 16th, you spend it all by the 16th. You're thinking, man, how am I going to get to the end of the month there? And somehow you make it there. That's where they were at. But you know, the believers at Macedonia, they were new believers like you and me. They got the place, they said, well, this is our missionary. He loved us and he helped us. And the Bible says they gave beyond their power to help the apostle Paul. There was involvement, personal involvement. I almost imagine that someone got up, the pastor there, which may have been Epaphroditus, he got up in a church service and says, listen, this is our missionary and we don't really know what we're supposed to do, but I want you to just to think about what you can pledge individually that we're going to take up as an offering and we're going to send to Paul to help support the apostle Paul. Now notice this, their involvement was personal, but notice their involvement was pecuniary. It was monetary. They gave, a, they gave a pledge. They gave something monetarily that would help the Apostle Paul. Notice he talks about your care of me. In other words, they, that Paul, whatever they gave to Paul was enough so that Paul could make his missionary journeys. It would pay his food. would take care of his lodging. And I would tell you this from everything I can read about the Apostle Paul. He was extremely, extremely frugal. He was extremely careful about how he spent the money. He wasn't lavish about it. He was extremely careful. I think as we read here in chapter four of Philippians, I think he was just content with not trying to spend his money because I think as good missionaries are, he tried to conserve whatever dollars he had or monies he had so that he could use it to help further the cause of Christ and get the gospel to more people. I'm just saying this morning, the first thing we see is the financial precepts. But notice very quickly, notice in chapter four, we see a second thing. Number one, there's the finance, there's the financial precept. Number two, very quickly, there's the faith performance. Now, We call it faith promise because it's putting your faith to work. What does James say? Faith without works is dead. This is a simple way that everybody here can put your faith to work. Now, we want to see in this faith performance, we are now finding our role and our place individually in faith promise giving. First of all, we have to ask the question. Question number one is we look at we look at the assessment of the representative. Now we ask the question, who is the missionary? We try to vet these missionaries. We want to find out, first of all, they need to be of like precious faith. They need to be of same doctrine. We, we only support baptistic works, independent baptistic works. That doesn't mean everybody else is bad. We just have narrowed it down by doctrine and by faith and by practice. And I just will tell you this. I, I just, the, the, the people that I know that are most, most aggressive in winning people to Christ and discipling are independent Baptists. And, and I'm just thankful for that. And there are probably other good works in the world. But just, just kind of our, our flavor we're going with right now. But we look at who's the missionary. I want to know who his sending church is. I want to know his pastor. You're going to meet a missionary next year. He's not able to come to this conference. You're going to meet a missionary is a very good friend of mine, Pastor David Hetzer. David Hetzer, I'll talk about him tonight, is a pastor that's pastoring a great work in the state of Ohio and uh, Idaho, excuse me. And just recently I got a message from him that the Lord's been working in his heart. And just several weeks ago, he and his wife surrendered to be missionaries in Sri Lanka. I think they're going to partner up with our good good missionary, uh, Terry Unruh there. And, uh, th- and this man, David Hetzer, I'll tell you some more about him tonight. What an incredible uh, work of God. Well, he t- I said, who's going to be your sending church? He said, Southwest Baptist Church. 
church. Well, Southwest Baptist Church is where Sam Davison pastored for many years. And now Brother Jason Gaddis pastors there. Well, we, we've, we vetted this man. We know who his sending church is because they vetted him. I know who his pastor is. I know about this mission. In fact, I know him so well. In those early days when he first started a church, he'd call me at 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. He'd say, Pastor Fong, can I, can, I, can I just talk to you for a minute? He says, can you give me some counsel about how to win souls and how to organize a soul winning program? And, and I still have those text messages where we sent back at night or calls at night where we spent late at night just trying to mentor this young preacher in the faith. I know he's a soul winner. I know he's going to get the job done. I know he's interested in reaching people for Christ. We want to know about this missionary. What is his track record with winning souls, discipleship? Let me tell you something tonight. I don't care what they say about wanting to go to country. If they're not winning souls now and trying to get people saved right now, I doubt they're going to be very effective on the mission field. And you say, that sounds a little rough. No, the, the Bible uses a word called proven. You need to be proven. You come to me and say, Pastor, I, I'm interested in going to the mission field. And I might tell you something like this. If I don't, if I'm not seeing that you're not as active involved in sowing, here's what I'll tell you to do. I said, well, let's give ourselves the next six months where you'll, I'll have you involved in all matters of outreach and evangelism. And we'll come back in six months from now and see where you're at. Because the last thing I want somebody to do is go to the mission field. They're not winning souls here. They go to the mission field. They get all this money from God's people. And four years later, they say, well, I guess this is not where I'm supposed to be. And they leave the missionary status. That's not right. That's not right. You need to be proven. You need to know this is where God has you. By the way, you don't go to the mission field because of how much support you go. You go to the mission field because you're called of God. Paul was a known quantity to the Philippians. They knew his track record. Then secondly, there's the action and the response. Notice how the Philippian believers in, in Philippians chapter 4, notice how they responded to Paul. And Paul, Paul is just commending them here in chapter 4. Notice, first of all, they were solitary in their response. Did you know something? He says something here. Uh, notice he says in verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, and what he's talking about there is those early days when he was at Philippi and then when he left to go to Thessalonica. That's connecting chapter 16 of Acts to chapter 17 of Acts. You with me? Say amen. Okay, if you want to go to lunch, you better say amen, amen. Okay. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, notice this. He said, when I left, no church communicated with me. Now, work, look at the word communicated. We're going to talk about this over and over again. The word communicated is where we get our word also fellowship. It also means partnering. Coming alongside of. Involvement with. And he said, you know, he says, listen, when I left, everybody knew about it. In fact, by the way, by the way, there was the church at Jerusalem, which was the big church. There were churches that Paul started at Lystra and Derby. There were churches he started at Iconium. There was Antioch and Pisidia. There were churches he started on the, on, on, over there on Cyprus there. And yet, none of those churches decided to communicate or to fellowship or partner with Paul. But notice what he says here. No church communicated with me as concerning giving, receiving, but ye only. You know what he's saying there? It doesn't matter. Listen, for us as a church, it doesn't matter who else is supporting them. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. If the person's track record is right, their doctrine is right, they're going to, and the anointing of God's one life, we need to get along, come alongside of them to support them, regardless of who else comes along or not. They were solitary. They had faith in what he was doing. They had faith that God would use him. 
They knew what Paul was capable of doing. Some churches out there that he started, maybe they, the word hadn't got them. I think it did. Maybe some of them were just a little, they were a little bit more introspective and weren't thinking about going, uh, being extra, uh, being, just getting out of their box and doing something for God. It didn't matter. Paul was just commending. He says, no one communicated with me except for you only. And by the way, no church communicated with me. He was emphasized there. Faith promise is to be church-centric. Something else he says there. They were not only solitary in their response. Notice they were shareholders in their response. He said, ye did communicate with me in my affliction, in verse 14. They participated. They were partners in. Ye did communicate. They, they, they made it certain that they were shareholders in the work of God. And here in California, especially in the Bay Area, you know this, if those of you, those of you in high tech and in financial sectors and medical sectors and so on, professionals, this is an area that is very, uh, very touch sensitive, high touch sensitive about, about, uh, startup companies and growth companies and, and we've got a number of venture capital firms down there in Menlo Park and Palo Alto and you just kind of read, read that, you know this is a, this is a, this is a hotbed for venture capital monies to be invested in these kind of companies and people here in California a little bit more sensitive about is there an opportunity for me to jump in and get in a certain stage there and, and you know you think about the twitters and, uh, and and the amazons and all those kind of companies there well listen think about this for a minute the same concept applies but in a greater way here in philippians chapter four he said ye did communicate with me in my affliction he was saying there you guys got to the place as a church where you decided to share with me you decided to partner with me you decided to take ownership in the work that i was doing he didn't beg them he didn't coerce them he didn't say well god bless you or anything like that if you do or don't he just said you know i got to go and preach the gospel and the church at philippi said we're going to come alongside as shareholders the work of god let me say this today many of you here today who've never participated in faith promise or maybe you've not participated for a long period of time it is my prayer there by the end of next sunday that God is going to move on your heart to participate in faith promise missions and seeing yourself a shareholder in the works of God and seeing yourself as a shareholder in, in the missionaries and works that we support and watching what God is able to do. So we see the action in their response. Faith promise missions is investing in the work of God. Then notice thirdly, they bounded in their responsibility. And we're still talking about the faith performance. Now, how did they give? You know, our concept of giving is giving very stingily. Our concept of giving is giving what little we can get by with. It's like giving a tip. But the giving of this church at Philippi, this was beyond their tithe. By the way, faith promise giving is beyond your tithe. The tithe belongs to God. Amen? And notice they were resolved in their heart. He says, your care for me. They bounded in one thing. They cared for the missionary. And I want you to think about this week when you get the prayer page and the listing of all the missionaries in our missionary booklet. I want you to think about those missionaries and re- reminisce your mind having shaken their hands and who they are and what countries they represent and to care for those missionaries they were resolved. Listen, it's verse 10. They bounded not only by being resolved, they bounded by making raises. Now you go to work and you have a job. You, you, if you work hard... Or if you're an entrepreneur and you own your own business, you know that if you need to raise more money, you need to work a little harder. Listen, this mission was working harder and that church recognized and they made raises to him. Look at verse 10 said. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last, your care of me, again, there's a statement, your care of me, your care of me has what? Flourished again. 
They weren't content with just the first time in giving. They made raises to the Apostle Paul. They made increases to him. They, they helped. The word flourish means to sprout up, to grow, to bloom again. And they were resolved. They made raises. But notice something else. They were recurring in their offerings. He says in verse 16, they sent once and... Talk to me. Once and... Once and... is recurring. Thank you for many of you who've participated in faith promise giving. And in your heart, you're praying about doing it again. And some of you last year, maybe last year was your very first time you participated in faith promise giving. I say this morning, just continue to do it again. And many, even young people today, everyone can participate in faith promise giving. Look at verse 10. Your care for me flourished again. Notice in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, he was already in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Oh, this morning, very quickly, we see Paul and the faith performance. But notice thirdly, we see the favorable product. Look at verses 17 to 18. We need to move on very quickly. Notice the favorable product that God gave them through faith promise giving. Notice in verse 18, he says something of the nature. I have all and abound. Now, I like it when a missionary says, I've got all that I need. I have all and I abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Notice Paul was saying some things about the product of their giving. It was favorable. It was honoring to God. It glorified God. Notice the first thing he says about this favorable product. He says their giving was acceptable to God. Now, beloved, today, the reason why Pastor Fong will be encouraging us greatly during these next several days about faith, promise, giving, because we want to meet the threefold criteria found in verse 17. The free threefold criteria, no, notice, why, how were they favorable? Notice, how was it acceptable? Number one, it was acceptable in its manner. Notice what he describes it as. He says, a sacrifice was over their tithe. It was beyond their building offerings. It was beyond all their other giving, special needs of the church. It was a sacrifice. Listen, when the churches of Macedonia gave, when they gave beyond their power, it was a sacrifice. Listen, even if you just gave one dollar, it's a sacrifice. He's just saying today it was a sacrifice. The manner in which they give was a sacrifice. The thing sent from you, then it was accepted because of its material. What kind of material was it? Notice how he describes it. An odor of a sweet smell. It was a wonderful fragrance. It was like incense being burned on the altar of God. He says the manner in which they gave was sacrificial. The material in which they gave was the odor of a sweet smell. If you know anything about the burning of incense and things like that, they would, they would sometimes have to go to these high mountains areas to get certain kinds of flowers that would give off a certain, certain fragrance. And these flowers, as they were crushed and would be brought and burned later on, they were very, very expensive, either as an ointment or as a dry, as a dried material. Notice here, he talks about it being a odor of a sweet smell. Listen, it's pleasing in the nostrils of God. And then it was acceptable in his motive. Notice what he says here. Their giving was acceptable. And notice, well-pleasing to God. Heritage Baptist Church may encourage you. Let's go beyond where we've been the last two years. We've been at the same level. This year, let's go beyond that. This year, let's do more. Amen? This year, let's go. Let's be well-pleasing to God. Let's give once and again. Let's go beyond our means. Those who've never participated, start praying now for God to move your heart to participate. Give a sacrifice that would be well-pleasing to God and acceptable to the Lord, realizing that sacrifice means you may feel it in the beginning, but God will take care of all your needs. I'm saying today, they gave their giving was acceptable. Notice verse 17, their giving was advantageous. Now, it's a favorable product because the means by which they gave was well-pleasing to God. 
But notice in their giving, we see something else that Paul says here. He says that their giving was advantageous to them personally. Notice in verse uh, verse uh, verse 17, he says, not because I desire to give. Now, I like the spirit of the Apostle Paul. I didn't write you for money. I didn't call for you for money. I didn't desire a gift. He said, I've learned how to abound. I've learned how to be abased. I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I've learned to just be content with such things as I have. But he says, I didn't desire a gift from you, but he says, I desire fruit. They may abound to your account. Listen, you're in, by investing in the work of God, you're sending ahead into heaven. You're sending ahead for eternity. You're sending ahead so that you have a favorable standing before Jesus Christ at his judgment seat. Listen, every sinner will be judged at the great white throne for their sins as to whether or not they receive Jesus as their savior or rejected him. But every Christian, your sins have been judged on the cross. Your sins are not going to be judged again. They were judged once and for all by Jesus Christ on the cross. When he shed his precious blood, he shed it once and for all for our sins. But for all of us, we have an accounting to God that we'll give. And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of the things done in our body, whether good or bad. And one of the things that God is going to look for is how much of a giver were you? How good of a giver were you? How cheerful of a giver were you? Did you participate in missions? Did you participate in faith promise? Did you give and here's Paul's heart for these believers. He's not with them now. He's over in prison. He's, he's in Caesar's palace there, chained to two guards. He's in his first imprisonment. He's already made his way through Thessalonica. He's already made his way through Berea. He's already made his way through uh, Athens. He's already made his way through Achaia, where, where is Corinth. He's already made his way through Ephesus. And the gospel spread through Asia throughout the area. He's already done that. Where Paul was at now, he's burdened about these people because he helped start that church. He nurtured them. He preached the gospel to them. And he says, listen, what I desire of you in this situation, tell whatever God lays in your heart do it so that you may lay up fruit that will abound to your account now number one that's church centric you listen to me church we'll quickly lose the blessing of god on this church if we're not giving to missions you better listen to this old preacher right now we'll lose the blessing of god when we stop giving to missions you say well i enjoy coming to church yeah you enjoy coming because you're not giving you gotta give you got to participate. Hey, worship without giving is not worship. And so we have to understand something. It's church-centric. Young people, if you want a church 10 years from now, 15 years, 20 years from what it is today, we need to be involved in faith promise giving. It's church-centric. Hey, it's personally centric. God adds fruit that abounds your account. Hey, watch this. I wish I had time today. And I'm not going to do this. But I will tell you, the majority of the founding members of the church is about 15 to 20 still here. As far as I know, all of them participate generously in faith promise missions. Can I tell you something? If I had time to tell you what I have watched from the outside without, without asking for testimony, I've watched God add fruit to their account. I've watched God save their family members. I've watched God bless them in their work. I've watched God use them as teachers and involvers and servers for God. And I'm saying, don't miss out on this today. This could be a wonderful opportunity to see you have fruit that abounds in your account. By the way, we pray for God to bless us. What verse 17 is talking about, that's how God blesses us. Fruit that abounds in your account. So we say this morning, we see the favorable product quickly then. Notice verse 19. Now, we've looked at, we've looked at first of all, that faith promise giving is a financial precept. God, God's methodology... 
God's mechanism for funding missions, for supporting the work of God as missionaries go out, is to the local New Testament church. We're to be involved. Okay. Secondly, looked at the we looked at the faith performance. Churches must be involved. We must care for our missionaries. We get involved through faith promise mission. It's an amount over and above our tithe and our, our building offering. Then we saw the favorable product. God wants us to do this because He wants to add fruit to our account. But notice number four. Now, here's the hard part. You're feeling really uncomfortable. You're feeling like, man, pastor, I, I don't know if I can do this thing. God, pastor, you don't understand. I'm stretching my limits. I'm beyond my budget. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I've got a child going to college. I've got, I've got this coming up. My car's breaking down. By the way, I've always learned this about faith promise missions. Oh, it always happens. Somebody's car breaks down before faith promise mission support. Okay. <laughs> if our cars break down, now if your car breaks down, I, I, I didn't curse you. Okay. That didn't come from me. And maybe God is testing you to see how faithful you'll be. Or a layoff happens. Reduction in in the size. A sickness happens. You get this bill in the mail and you say to your wife, where did this come from? And you're thinking, preacher, that's a lot of pressure. Sacrifice. Well-pleasing to God. In order for sweet smell, when are you going to be done with the message, pastor? Amen. And notice... Before you think God doesn't care about you, and before you think God doesn't love you, and before you say God is not interested in you, let me tell you how God loves you through faith promise missions. Look at verse 19. God gives us a faithful promise. In verse 19, he says, but my God shall supply all your... Wow. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo-hoo! My God. I've proven him, Paul said. I've done this. God is taking care of me and He'll take care of you. My God shall supply all your need. Listen, He knows about your budget that doesn't balance. He knows about those unexpected costs. He knows about that bill that's coming in. He knows about that car that's going to break down. He knows that you're only on one income or maybe no income. He knows all those things. But He said, my God shall supply all your need. Don't worry about the preacher's need and don't worry about the front row need. Don't worry about that need. He said He's going to take care of your need. That's God's love for you and me this morning. That's great stuff. My God should supply all your need. But how's God going to do it? Hey, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The silver and gold is all mine. He says, Haggai 2.8. What's he say there? My God should supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ by Christ Jesus. How many understand today? God never runs out of money. God never runs out of resources. God never runs out of blessing. Listen, when you participate in faith promise missions, it doesn't matter what the experts say about the economy. It's recession proof, depression proof. It could be in good times. It could be bad times. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the economy. The economy has no bearing on it. What the bearing is, is what does God say about faith promise missions? Faithful promise. Paul's teaching them to shovel in and shovel out principle. Proverbs 11, verse 24 to 25. This is what, this is what Solomon said. There is that scattereth. Now you gotta get the idea of a, of a, of a farmer here. There is a scattereth. He's sowing his seed. It increases. You ever heard the term, the term green thumb? He's got a green thumb. She's got a green thumb. I like to boast about my wife. We go knock on a door. This is how I get into doors. We see a family that's got all these orchids there. They're either Chinese or Filipino. Amen. And so then we knock on the door there and they'll say, hey, your orchid right there is dying. They say, yeah, I know that. Hey, my wife can bring life back to that orchid. Now she can't, but I, I kind of use that to get in the door there. Amen. Actually, she does. She can bring a dead orchid back to life. 
Look what he says. There is a scattereth and yet increases. There that withholdeth more than is meat, but attendeth the poverty. Hey, you see God's economy there? He says as we're giving, it increases. But if you hold back and you scrounge and you get stingy about your waist, you don't understand, Pastor. I've got to buy a new car. And you don't understand, Pastor. I've got. God knows that. God should supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 24, there is that it scattered and yet increases. He says in verse 25, the liberal soul shall be made fat. And what's he saying there in all that? My God shall supply all your need. Now, we claim that in a non-mission way, but this is specific to missions. The context of Philippians 4.19 is missions and giving. My God, Paul's saying, I, I prove God and you need to prove him too. It's extraordinary. It's essential. It's a guarantee from the Creator Himself. So we see this morning the financial precept. We see the faith performance. We see the favorable product. We see the faithful promise as we close this morning. Would you notice as we close? We've got to close. Notice verses 9 and 10. Write this down. Notice the fervent participation. Paul said in verse 9, Those things which you have both learned. Now, he taught them how to do this. Those things which you both have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what do you say to do? Do. It's just what I taught you, what I showed you, what I preached to you, just do it. And notice he closes that verse 9 and says, and the God of peace shall be with you. Why do you say that? Because, you know, we're challenged to step out by faith. It's a little unsettling. It's a little bit scary. Like, man, does this really work? Does it really work? And I'm going to tell you this morning, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Then he said in verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. Wherein you also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. The church at Philippi participated with Paul. It was fervent. They gave once and again. They cared for him. Their care was flourishing. They made raises that were recurring. They got involved. They participated. They became shareholders in the grace of God. Faith promise is over and above your regular tithes and your offerings. For some, you'll be praying about your first-time participation. And listen, I hope that everyone participates to some degree. I just pray that you'll just, will just step out to some degree and participate on a monthly or weekly recurring basis in faith promise. For many of you I, that are already participating, I pray that you'll take into account any job promotions, job increases, whatever God has done for you, and maybe what, you, what maybe is coming down the pipeline. I encourage you to participate once and again and to participate with the great work of God. And we're praying for many more mysteries we can support and works we can get behind and seeing the great things God's going to do. And I want to encourage you as a church, listen, let's get out of that and have the joy of the Lord. You say, how can I do it? Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Yes, you can. You can get that checkbook out. That's the only time people start their hands start to shake when you ask them to do faith. They go like this. They're going like this. They're, no, no, no. Just say, you know, I can do all things through Christ with strength. I mean, just add another zero to it. Put the decimal point further out and it'll work. Amen. Okay, it'll work. As I close this morning, look at verse 19 again. <clears throat> My God shall supply all your need. What's your need this morning? What's your need? Can I tell you what all of our need is? We need more of Jesus. Amen? 
We need more Jesus. We need more of his love. We need more of his holiness. We need more of his grace. But I want to declare to you today, if you're not saved, you need Jesus to get to heaven. You really do. Listen to what the Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and I'm done. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. My wife and I were out visiting yesterday. And uh, we had baptisms planned yesterday. And so just a number of things. That was a very busy morning. And so we had some appointments we wanted to make. We had to just kind of put them on the side. And I said, let's just go back down. I said, hey, why don't you go with me down to Merced Street? We're just kind of, I just, I'm trying to get to know the neighbors a little bit more. I want to be a familiar commodity to all of our neighbors. And a house I've been to many times. I, the man came to the door. His wife is visiting relatives in another state. And I knocked on the door. And uh, he came to the door and talked with us. And he came this morning. He's here in church this morning. And, uh, you know, he's not saved. But he says, I'm, I'm thinking about what you're talking to me about. And yesterday we met a 95-year-old lady. Man, she looked good for 95 years of age. I, I looked at her and said, ma'am, I hope I can live that long. And I hope I look as good. She looked so healthy and so well. And I asked her, I said, ma'am, now, you know, you're a little bit closer to heaven than I am right now. If today was your last day on earth, how sure are you about going to heaven? She said, well, I want to be sure. And I gave her some verses and helped her yesterday to give her assurance of salvation. But listen. If you're only 99% sure, that's not good enough. Most of us are between 0 and 90% as far as how sure we are. But I want to help you today. You can be 100% sure. You can be 100% sure because God guarantees in His Word you can be saved today. Listen to what He says. He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God is raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen to this, Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It's very simple. Number one, you must understand you're a sinner. Sin is terrible. Sin must be punished. God punished sin for you and me by punishing his son Jesus to die for your sins and mine. Jesus was nailed on the cross. He shed his blood as the payment price for sin. They buried him in an old borrowed tomb, rolled a stone over it. But thank God, three days later, he rolled the stone away. Amen. He came out of that tomb, risen from the dead. He's the only man that came back from the dead. The only man will ever come back from the dead because he's the son of God, risen with healing in his wings. Jesus came out of that place. He's now in heaven, and he's looking for people who understand they're sinners, who need to be saved, to call on him to save them. And today in this service, on the 19th day of August, you can be saved and born into the family of God. You can be born in God's family and be 100% sure you're saved. God will meet your need today. And your greatest need is accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Let's bow our heads in prayer. My invitation is very quick and very, very, very simple. Number one, number one, your need is Jesus. But as a Christian, those of you who are saved, and the majority of you here today are, would you make a decision today to be open to God's leading, to participate in faith, promise, missions? Would you make a decision today to sacrifice? Maybe if you're not even tithing, you'll start tithing first. And then from there, see your involvement. And watch God supply your need. 
And watch God add fruit to your account. And maybe, Christian friend, I want to challenge you today by faith to kneel where you're seated, where you're at right now. Maybe you might kneel there or you come forward and find your place with one of our altar workers. Find your place there and say, Lord, I need greater faith today. I want to participate in faith promise. I'm not sure how you want me to do it, but I'm going to go. And maybe some here today, I hope you'll be back tonight. Maybe you've been tinkling with the idea of, am I supposed to be on the mission field? Am I supposed to take the gospel somewhere? And I pray that you just would just step out with all the discomfort and trust the God of peace to be with you this morning and step down to the aisle and say, God, I'm willing to go if you want me to go. Secondly, I made an appeal as we close. If you're not saved today, to call on Jesus to save you. There's somebody here today who would indicate by the raising of their right hand that saying, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I want to be sure I'm going to heaven. I want to be 100% sure heaven's my home. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? You'd boldly raise your hand and say, Pastor Fong, pray for me. I want to be 100% sure I'm going to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? You're not sure, but you want to be sure heaven's your home. That's your need today is making sure you're going to heaven. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? Now, Father, this morning, your folks, your congregations listen so well. Now, Lord, we need to go to action. We need to do like Paul said, your care of me. We need to do like Paul. We need to just be actively involved in the work of God. He said, the things which you have both seen and heard and received in me, do. Now, Father, help us to do what we're supposed to do. Help us to obey you. Maybe somebody today is very scared and bashful about indicating they need to get saved. I pray that, Lord, they turn to the person next to them and say, could you show me how to be saved? I pray for Christians today to be moved out of the place of indifference and maybe lethargy and God to be stirred about souls who need to be saved. Today, the Word of God from Philippians 4 is very clear in instruction. Help us today to follow you and believe you today for what we should do. We pray for this now, Lord, of you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. Brother Vaughn's going to sing, I surrender all. Would you surrender all today? What is it you're going to surrender today? Come, don't wait, don't delay. Altar workers are here. Would you step forward? Would you kneel at your place and say, Lord, I, I accept the challenge to give to faith promise. I accept the challenge to be involved in faith promise missions. I want to do more than I've ever done. I want to do it for the first time. Would you take your place among many who are kneeling, among many who are around the room, who have come forward? Would you do that this morning? Christian fan, don't you think you need more of Jesus? Don't you think today would be a great time and opportunity to get more of Jesus in your life? Why don't you do that this morning? We'll sing another stanza. We're not going to delay. The Holy Spirit has spoken through His Word. Would you let Him work? Father, thank You this morning for the clear instruction that Philippians 4 gives us. Father, now do Your work in our hearts. May it drill its way in. May it be unforgettable may be inscribed in such a way that Lord, that, Lord, we can't get it out of our hearts and minds. We pray that next Sunday will be a great Sunday of participation for Faith Promise Missions. Thank you for this wonderful congregation. Thank you for loving us through your word, showing us your grace and your mercy, your goodness for us. Thank you, you promised to supply all of our need according to our riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you say you, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. In a moment, Lord, dismiss us with your blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I want you to see a Connect video just to update you about the missions conference, some other events going on. And then Brother Jorge Della O will come and lead us in closing prayer.